If you're like me, you've probably heard about colonialism during world history classes in grade school and how it led to better lives for everyone involved. We're going to challenge that narrative and take a look at what happens when you have multiple groups of people with different levels of power over one another. And we're going to look at how we're still dealing with the impacts of those dynamics in the present day. In this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, we bring on Ashley Opon to share how colonialism impacts her and many others. You've likely heard about cultural appropriation. Are you familiar with how it differs from cultural appreciation and the things to consider when trying to determine which is which? Stay tuned. It's time to grab your favorite beverage, sit in your favorite chair, and get ready for this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, Unraveling the Impact of Colonialism, a deep dive with Ashley Opan. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look, whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. And welcome back, listeners. Today we have Ashley Opon with us to talk about colonialism. Ashley, we're so glad to have you here today. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Perfect. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself. You already know my name. So I am a shamanic practitioner. I am a registered nurse and I am, I would say, an amateur historian. My background is my parents are both immigrants, so I'm a first-generation American. So I've experienced a lot of different things myself that I can speak to. And it's led me to be interested in a lot of areas involving some of the things that we're going to speak about today. Thank you so much for that. Why is colonialism a big deal for you? What in your background encompasses that? Sure. So I think my whole existence is built around what colonialism has done to different cultures. So. My dad is from Ghana, which is in West Africa, and my mom was born in England, but her whole family is from Jamaica. So a lot of things I learned growing up and a lot of different things that I experienced come out of the way that my parents grew up. I was born here, but my parents being new to the United States and learning kind of the customs and what we do here and how it has affected them differently from where they were from has been an experience. So being a Black American in America is very different than being Black in England, and it's very different than being Black in West Africa. So it's been three different experiences that I feel like I have experienced in my life, and the way colonialism has affected each one is very different. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, I'm approaching this from the concept that a lot of people out there either were never educated about colonialism or their education came from social media, which as good it is to have that free access, you get people's perceptions or you get like the very watered down version of it or whatever can 
happen in 142 80 characters. <laughs> Can you help us by sharing what the definition of colonialism is? Sure. So actually, as defined by Oxford, they say it's the policy or practice of acquiring full or partial political control over another country, occupying it with settlers and exploiting it economically. So obviously, this has happened in so many parts of the world. Every part of the world that you can think of where there were settlers, quote unquote, or people went there and took over the land and used different parts of the land and in different countries and different parts of the world, different things were used. And then the people ended up being taken over and then it caused like a ripple effect with a lot of other issues. So there's three components again, we're controlling the area, occupying it and exploiting it. So with those three aspects, how does colonialism impact us now? Because we hear about the old school British empire or all these other empires, which we don't really see nowadays, but we still see the impact. So what sort of impacts are popping up? I'm going to gonna talk about different parts of the world where these things became big problems. So one thing that's happened, especially, and I can speak to it in Western Africa a lot, um, and actually a lot of parts of Africa, when they gained independence, it caused a lot of power vacuums, right? So mm -hmm. all these power vacuums then caused a lot of civil wars and they caused a lot of other issues. Another thing that happened a lot of the time in a lot of like the, Af the African diaspora was colorism, which is still very prevalent today. And colorism is one of the big things that even started there's a lot of different reasons this war started, but in Rwanda, there was a civil war in the 90s. There's a movie about it. It's actually pretty good. It's chilling and it's yes. It's really terrible. And part of the whole issue there was colorism. With their colonizers, the Tutsi people tended to be lighter skinned and the Hutu people tended to be darker. And the colonizers ended up treating the Tutsi people better. So it cause all this anger and frustration within these two different tribes where people had lived together for thousands upon thousands of years having no problem and that actually happens a lot in different places again I'm speaking to Africa because that's what I know best in Africa because we have a lot of different ethnic groups that were then when there was the scramble for Africa when the European powers just cut it up and said we're going to take this we're going to do this they put a lot of ethnic groups together, which, number one, their customs were not the same. Their languages were not the same. Even their practices and the things they ate, how they grew their food, everything wasn't the same. So sometimes you take people and you put them together who weren't really meant to be together. I'll give you a good example of something that's happening right now, like in Nigeria. There's a lot of issues between the Hausa people of the north and the bigger two tribes of the South are the Yoruba people and the Igbo people. There's been a lot of issues there because a lot of people will say, well, we were all never supposed to be a country. We're three separate ethnic groups that were doing our own thing, trading the way we traded and doing whatever they did. But when the European powers came, and in this case, it was the British, came and smushed them all together. It was like, but wait, you're throwing the whole ecosystem off. You're throwing off our culture. You're throwing everything off when they weren't ever meant to be in the same space together. And even lines were cut between tribes. For instance, I'm a Shanti and we are mostly in Ghana, but there's a lot of Shanti people in Togo, our neighboring countries. The way they cut it 
they mixed us up and they separated us. So there's a lot of Ashanti people now who speak French and Ashanti people who speak English. And it's not a problem, but it is a problem. Our whole tradition, our culture was this area and you pushed us away from each other. So that ended up still causing a lot of issues. Yeah, that's very unfortunate in all of those regards. Another thing that I'm noticing a lot is a lot of traditions or customs or even attire or Mm -hmm. styles of hair are basically being pulled from one culture to whatever the colonizing culture is. What is that like with your group? I am a Black woman who has very kinky hair. I've always had very kinky hair. And the desire has always been to have straight hair. Even when I was young, I used to dream of having straight hair. I used to put sashes in my hair and braid them and wish I had long, silky hair like a lot of my Caucasian friends. And this is something that happens a lot in the Black community. When I was a kid, we have kits where we straighten our hair. If you got a little bit of the cream on your ear, every little Black girl knows it burns like hell. It hurts. (laughs) But your parents sat you down in that chair every couple of weeks and they straightened your hair. We used to use what we call hot combs. There's a comb. It's like an iron, literally made of iron put on the stove, you heat it up to straighten our edges. It was like a big thing that we did. And it was normal for us. It wasn't weird. But the desire was always to have straight hair. Now I'm older. And actually, I have dreadlocks. And I remember my mom even saying, oh, if my grandpa had been alive when I got dreadlocks, he would have been rolling in his grave. Because his thought process, again, because of colonialism, he had said to my mom, apparently, and I quote, the only people who had dreadlocks were Rastafarians and murderers. (laughs) So he really was against it because it wasn't quote-unquote professional and that's kind of seen a lot I don't even know if it's legal now but I know in certain jobs they were firing people for their hair and there was a time in American history especially in like Louisiana black women were not allowed to wear their natural hair out at all they had to wear a turban or a scarf over it because it was seen as ugly and undesirable but before that hundreds of years ago when we were all living where we were living it was fine it was just the hair that grew out of your head but once colonialism came around if your hair wasn't like theirs it was considered ugly or bad or wrong and then you would need to wear a wig or whatever now people wear wigs because they want to and that's no problem and I feel like that's more of the culture now but it's also still a stigma to wear your hair natural a lot of Older Black women will say, oh, why you let that baby's hair get so nappy? Nappy is the word. And it's just kind of a derogatory word for saying that your hair is special. That's really what it ends up being. It's better than I know even when I was younger and I'm like in my 30s, but it's still there and it's still like. Yeah, that actually brings up another thing that happens with colonialism is whatever the colonizing culture considers to be the norm that's what others feel pressure to emulate for instance the natural textured hair the desire to switch it over to making it straight and i've seen videos of these combs and i'm just like oh my gosh 400 degree iron combs and having to put that i'm like oh my gosh every little black girl was terrified at least everyone i knew We were all like, oh, my God, my mom came at me with a hot comb this morning because she said my edges were frizzy. And it was like it was a big deal. Definitely. Yeah. And on the flip side with the cultural appropriation, then all of a sudden you have 
people of the dominant culture taking aspects or traditions and commercializing it like rap or taking a look at like patterns and color schemes from West African attire. And then all of a sudden it shows up on fashion week from a white fashion house. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting because I always see this like appropriation versus appreciation. And it's very easy to just appreciate things, but like the most important thing is something that I think you're doing with this podcast too, is explaining where it's from. It's not a problem to wear kente cloth if you understand what kente cloth is and what it means and why it's important, especially to like the Akan people and Ashanti people or wear certain patterns and just to acknowledge that, oh yeah, I got this from here. Even when people will say, because sometimes I do think people get a little crazy with it, but oh, you shouldn't wear this or that. You shouldn't wear it if you don't understand it or if it's something that's sacred to that culture. If it's sacred, it's wrong. Like when people wear indigenous costumes, you don't even know what that means. So don't even bother like wearing those types of things. But if you wear jewelry from an indigenous maker that, you know, has indigenous symbology on it, I think that's fine if you know what it means because that person's explaining it. You bought it from an indigenous maker. It's good. I think it's come now also with the wave of a lot of younger people wanting to get in touch with their ancestry, their background, and then people feeling like they're somehow left out if they're not doing it. So if it's people of color and different types of BIPOC people being like, oh yeah, like I'm wearing this, I'm wearing that. And then somebody else who is not part of that community feels, oh, but I want to be part of it too. That's fine. You can be part of any community, but you just need to respect where it came from and who started it. That's the biggest part of, I think, appreciation versus appropriation. It's really not that hard. It just takes two extra steps. And it's usually two extra steps of Googling. You're on your phone anyway. Like, just Google it. Like, like you can easily figure out where this came from, what it means, if it's sacred, if it's a closed practice or not. Like, you can figure it out really easily. Yeah, and credit sources, too. I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen when it comes to this whole appropriation versus appreciation talk is crediting your sources and making sure the source is what gets paid. If it is like native to a person's ethnicity, to their history, to their culture, they reserve that right to create it and get paid for it and get credited for it versus some white girl seeing it, copying it and say, look at this thing I made. It's a very different type of thing. It's not saying she can't go and purchase it and wear it and appreciate it. That's the line I feel that if we're going to come up with a hard and fast line, that's one to look at. Beyond that, it tends to be so shades of gray. People nitpick it. But it's like going back to that original who is profiting and who is being exploited. Yes. Oh, yeah. The exploitation is a big thing there. For sure. So you shared about the countries that gained independence. The impact on them is still the lingering beliefs of what the colonialists brought in, like, for instance, colorism, and then also the power vacuum. Are there any other consequences to the previously colonized areas? When I think of the consequences, big ones, I think, are losses of culture. And we see that here a lot in the United States. If you look at a list of dead languages in the United States, 
most of them, all of them, because the original people were the indigenous people of the United States. So there's been such a loss of culture and so many different things. And there's many, I cannot remember the person's name, but I know there's one creator who has a whole project where she was going around to different indigenous communities trying to keep the language, recording people. I think this creator's grandmother was one of the last people to fluently speak the language of her people. It's so terrible that somebody even has to make a project like that. That, that uh, literally whole cultures have been decimated because people wanting land and resources. And so they decimated a whole culture and how many beautiful stories and histories have been lost to time because of it. People are then left, and you can see it in indigenous communities around the world, people are then left with a loss of their own history, their own culture, and then even feeling, you know, those ancestral traumas, there's many studies that show that it is felt down the line. It doesn't just stop when people die. Like, these are things that are passed on and on and on. And it hurts the whole community to recover. I don't know how long that takes, but there's many places in the world that have never recovered their economies. I'll go back to Africa. A lot of their economies never recovered when the different European powers were like, okay, we're out. And they would be out. And then it created power vacuums, like I said, created war, created all different sorts of issues where they were like, just left. Well, you guys wanted us out, so we're gone. But it's like, then they just left them. And in the case of somewhere like Jamaica, Jamaica actually has a quote-unquote debt to the UK still to this day. Yeah, it's insane. They were an island taken over by the UK. They killed most of the indigenous people and then put a lot of different slave groups there. And then a lot of indentured servantry from the Middle East, from China, from a lot of different areas there. And then the country somehow still has a debt to the United Kingdom after they left. I don't understand it. That's messed up. It's pretty bad. Colonialism has been so detrimental. And I wonder sometimes, I think about it constantly, what the world would have been like without it. What wonderful creations and what cultures and people have we lost to time because certain groups of people just wanted to own everything. Yeah, that's big. Uh, just as an aside, on that whole concept of what world the world might be like without colonization, I'm into games and some science fiction, and there have been people that have written fictional worlds of what if colonizers never made it to the North America area, what would it be like? So Unfortunately, we can't turn back time and mm -hmm. fix it, but I know there are dreamers out there trying to envision what a world would be like if colonialism didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So along those lines, there is a term that has been popped up. I've heard at least five years ago, it's becoming more and more popular now. And I feel like that's an, it's another one of those words out there that is used constantly in social media but never fully defined, to decolonize. What does that mean? So to decolonize is to, is to get rid of the kind of mindsets that have been put in by us and to take away, it's a lot of different things and I think a lot of aspects. So 
Some of it can be the capitalist mindsets that we have, the different mindsets about literally our culture, how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to do things, even how we're supposed to work in certain aspects. And a lot of it has to also do, unfortunately, too, with religion, how a lot of, especially like in the United States, a lot of the puritanical thinking is still within the country and how we how the country is run right now so it's decolonizing i think is like a multidisciplinary action of trying to say how can we take back our own cultures and our own and who we are the way that before our ancestors were like forced to be different mm-hmm. so yeah so Allowing people to be their authentic selves, allowing cultures to evolve on their own without outside interference, as it were. Yes, 100%. Got it. So looking at everything that's happened and everything that's happening, it just feels so big and so challenging. And a lot of us want to fix it, but we also, we're all individual people. Maybe we're a collective but simultaneously, we're all individual people. What sort of things can we do to better identify the impact of colonialism within our own lives and to choose differently? I think how we spend our money is one really big way. Supporting people in a way that supports communities instead of supporting corporations. Now, I love to say that while I'm sitting here with my MacBook in front of me and my Apple phone. I don't think there's anything wrong all the time with spending money in corporations, but I think it's really important that we start supporting communities and we look at the way our food is sourced. Even that has to do with this instead of mass producing things and looking at, when you talk about colonialism too, looking at the people who are growing our food, how they're treating others who are picking the food out of the ground for us dealing with those issues, dealing with issues of homelessness, how we deal with issues of crime. I think the biggest thing people forget is like you can do little things in your community. You don't have to be a member of Congress. It can be helping out your neighbor. Like if you're educating people about your culture or you're teaching people different things that we don't have to rely on, quote unquote, the machine. You know what I mean? How we're kind of taking back our own cultures and deciding for ourselves how we want to live our lives, that's battling colonialism because all of this came as a standard. And there was one, and I forget, I think it's Cornell West. He's a professor. I think he's the one who said it. But he talked about America being developed as a work camp. He said America was supposed to be a work camp. That's why a lot of things are the way they are. That's why we don't have the best educational system in the world. That's why a lot of things, why we learn the way we learn. And when I really thought about it, I was like, that kind of does make sense. So when we take back these ideologies of, okay, you have to work that nine to five and you have to make this much money. And if you don't do this and your credit score, when we start to treat each other and help each other and use our own skills, that in itself is battling colonialism right there. And that is helping all of us live, like you said, live our most authentic lives and taking care of each other. That's battling colonialism right there. That's a small start to it. Basically. Yeah, going from treating our interactions with our neighbors is transactional to we help them when they need help. They help us. We don't really keep score. It's a new way. Absolutely. And 
everything to treating our neighbors, our elderly different, to treating our kids different, to learning differently. All these different ways are helping us get back to taking care of each other instead of, you know, you know, (laughs) self-serving, but really serving the machine. Exactly. Exactly. Ashley, thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before you go? Let's take care of each other. That's the biggest way to help each other. Everyone just remember that. Let's just try to take care of each other the best way we can and listen and learn from each other because that's how we'll make our lives individually also better for everybody. Very important to hear. So where can people find you online? I am online in socials at Sankofa HS, that's S-A-N-K-O-F-A-H-S. And my website is SankofaHealingSanctuary.com. If you ever want some spiritual upkeep, I'm over there. You can always message me or email me at SankofaHealingSanctuary at gmail.com also. Thank you so much for being here today. No problem. Thank you. This has been great. That was an incredibly insightful conversation with Ashley, who shared her personal experiences and knowledge about colonialism's impact on her life and the cultures of her parents. We learned about the detrimental effects of colonialism, such as power vacuums, civil wars, and colorism, and how they are still prevalent today. One question that resonated deeply was when Ashley asked, what wonderful creations and what cultures and what peoples have we lost to time because certain groups of people just wanted to own everything. That was powerful. This discussion truly highlighted the importance of understanding, respecting, and preserving cultural heritage and the crucial role of individual actions in combating the remnants of colonialism. It was a stark reminder of the importance of decolonization and supporting local communities. Personally, it has deepened my understanding and empathy towards the complexities and long-lasting effects of colonialism. Let's pivot to what's coming up in the next two episodes. Next Sunday on August 27th, we're bringing on Ryan Winter, a writer, to discuss queer fiction and what is queer culture. And then the following Sunday on September 3rd, we're bringing on Gabby Morales to discuss healing journeys. With that, we're going to wrap up this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. And remember, each of us holds the power to challenge and reshape the remnants of colonialism in our own lives. It starts with self-reflection and awareness, understanding how colonialism has impacted us personally and our societies at large. From there, we can take conscious steps towards decolonization by respecting and preserving cultural heritage, supporting local communities, and challenging the norms of what has been imposed by colonial powers. Let's continue this journey together, learning, unlearning, and redefining what it means to be truly global citizens. With that, have a spiritual AF week. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by the Mystic Geek, that's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them 
Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual seekers find our show. So do the thing. <laughs>